Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Jody Lavin-Tompkins, a board-certified nurse in advanced diabetes management and the director of accreditation and content development at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Our guest today is Dr. Erica Peterson, a professor of neurosurgery and the director of functional and restorative neurosurgery and neuromodulation at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock. She was also the lead investigator on the Senza PDN randomized controlled trial, a study recently published in JAMA Neurology that looked at a new treatment for painful diabetes-related neuropathy. She's here to discuss her findings and discuss the HFX solution, which is a sensus spinal cord stimulation system that uses 10 kilohertz therapy to treat pain from diabetes-related neuropathy that was just approved by the FDA in July of 2021. Roughly 20 to 30% of people with diabetes-related peripheral neuropathy experience neuropathic pain, so this device may offer the pain relief and improved quality of life that some of your clients need. This episode and the participation of Dr. Erica Peterson are sponsored by Nevro, creators of the HFX solution. Visit hfxforpdn.com to learn more. Dr. Peterson, welcome to the huddle. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. I'm sure our listeners have encountered many people with diabetes who suffer with this complication of painful diabetes-related neuropathy and would want to learn more about this newly approved treatment. Now, I understand that the HFX uses high-frequency spinal cord stimulation. So can you tell our listeners how that works? Sure. So the HFX solution is a spinal cord stimulator plus the programming technology and technical support that go along with it from the company. What the device is, is essentially a small implanted impulse-providing generator wires that travel underneath the skin into the spinal canal underneath the surface of the bone and those then transmit impulses into the spinal cord that can disrupt pain messages coming from the diabetes related neuropathy in the feet. So originally the sort of spinal cord stimulator device which you can think of sort of like a pacemaker for pain was developed to use for back and leg pain. It was FDA approved in the U.S. in 2015 for the treatment of back and leg pain. And since about that time, more than 70,000 people worldwide have had a stimulator system from the Nevro company implanted. The FDA approval, as you mentioned, for the painful diabetes-related neuropathy was in July 2021. So this is a new group of patients who might be able to benefit using this kind of technology. 
so this is a device that's been around for a while, but it's recently being used for this purpose. Now, I've heard you have some exciting results from a large randomized clinical trial to share. Yeah, so I was really fortunate to be the lead investigator for a randomized control trial that involved 18 different centers in the U.S., and we brought in 216 patients across those 18 American centers, and we put them into two different groups, randomized, either to conventional medical management, that is with their pain team and the rest of the clinicians on their team, to the best quality of options, whether it was medications, topicals, alternative and complementary therapy, all of those combined options to try to get pain control as well as possible for the painful diabetic neuropathy. Or in the other group of patients, we offered all of that conventional medical management plus the use of a spinal cord stimulator with high frequency, the 10 kilohertz stimulation. What we did then is that patients who underwent placement of the stimulator after a temporary test trial, uh, we followed those patients at three months and six months, and we compared how they were doing to those with the conventional medical management. And what we found was that there was a significant difference in terms of pain relief between the two groups. Six months out after a stimulation was started with a HFX device, 85% of patients had at least a 50% reduction in their pain. We also noted that patients were better able to sleep. They expressed better quality of life and satisfaction across numerous areas where pain would have otherwise interfered in their day-to-day. And we also noted some improvements in terms of their neurological function, particularly in terms of some sensation function, which is interesting. And if you think about the 85% of patients who were um, their pain cut at least by 50% in that stimulation group, In the conventional medical arm without stimulation, it was only 5% of patients who had had a similar reduction cut by 50% in their pain. Wow, that is quite remarkable. Those are really compelling results. So if a DCES has a person who's interested in this device, what does that procedure look like? And are there any risks they should know about? Sure. So we looked in the research study specifically at patients who had had trouble with getting good control of their diabetes-related neuropathy pain using medications already. These were people who either pain didn't respond to medications or responded and stopped responding to medications, or they had really bad side effects of those medicines. So thinking about a minimally invasive implanted device as an option made sense. And we still recommend for people that if they can be treated effectively with medication, don't jump to an implanted device. Before anybody has a system like this implanted permanently, we do a temporary one-week test trial where patients get a chance to wear the stimulator and see how much it offers in terms of pain relief. That procedure can be done same day, either in a surgery center or sometimes in a procedure suite in somebody's office. And through a needle inserted into the spinal canal, kind of like with an epidural steroid injection or potentially like an epidural catheter would be implanted for labor, these small electrical wires are threaded into the spinal canal underneath the bone. And then there's tape that holds those in place during the temporary test trial for that week. And so patients really get a chance to know whether or not this is going to be effective. For my patients, I expect patients to experience at least a 50% improvement in their pain. And hopefully that means they also have better quality of sleep, better activity during that temporary test. 
At the end of the week, we remove the tape and pull, uh, those temporary stimulator wires can be removed. And then we go on to schedule the permanent procedure to put the battery pack under the skin along with fresh wires. And that's typically done a couple of weeks later. Again, a same-day procedure with some sedation medication and numbing anesthetic local injection medication and done uh, typically in a surgery center. As a neurosurgeon, I do these procedures in the hospital. It's a relatively low-risk procedure. Infection, by far one of the biggest risks that I worry about. There are very small risks related to mechanical complications of the device. Uh, you could have a, some difficulty with the technicalities of how the wires, the battery pack, the little computer within that generator all work, or the wires could slip and migrate out of position. The biggest issues that we see are things like irritation related to the tape that comes from doing that temporary test trial, uh, or even potentially a small chance that it doesn't work as well. And very, very rarely we see further complications. Of course, patients should really discuss this all in detail with the clinician that they're working with before they go through with trying the procedure for themselves. Thank you for that good overview, and it's good to know that there is this one-week test trial to see how successful the treatment would be. Is that usually covered by insurance? Yes. So, uh, in fact, most insurance companies that I've worked with with my patients require a successful test trial before they will pay for the procedure to be done permanently. And that's something that our office does with each patient's insurance to make sure that we have the appropriate pre-certification from the insurance company and actually Nevro offers some insurance support for certification through their company and make sure that that is something that doesn't catch our patients by surprise. So knowing now that they can have this trial and then they go on to get the device, I'm sure our listeners are wondering how big this device is since it's implanted. Absolutely. So if you think of the, the, that classic white plastic box of dental floss, that's about what the size of the battery pack is. It's actually a little bit thinner than that, but about the same dimension as far as a rectangle goes. And the battery pack sits underneath the skin, about a half an inch to an inch underneath the skin. Most patients choose to put it below the belt line and sort of the nice meat of the haunch of the buttocks. But that's something, again, where I always have a conversation with my patients about where they think that would be most comfortable in terms of their own lifestyle. And then the uh, small incision, uh, about an inch and a half long or so, just at the center of the back of about the waistline is what we use to thread the wires into the spinal canal. So with that in mind, I'm wondering about people who want to travel. Um, what about going through TSA with this device? Yeah, so I tell people that if they're ever in a place going through security screening to ask the person in charge, is your screening device safe for people with pacemakers? Because I have a pacemaker category device. The company gives um, patients a medical ID card that they have in their wallet. But generally, um, if you're not sure that the person in charge knows what they're talking about, you can request to opt out and just say, I'd better just be on the safe side. I'd rather have the optional pat down instead because of the device. And usually that sh uh, should be accepted. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, does the patient have control over the amount of stimulation once it's implanted? Absolutely. Uh, it's one of those things where the idea of having some sort of device that is doing something that I'm not in control of, as a nurse surgeon, I pretty much like to be in control of things too, and I wouldn't ask my patients for anything other. There is a wireless remote control that a patient has that communicates through the skin to the device, and with that, they can turn the device on or off 
they can switch between different preset program settings that may offer different montages of impulses of stimulation depending on what their specific pain requirements are. And they can also uh, turn it up and down a little bit in terms of what that intensity is. So there seems to be lots of options, which is great. So is there a limit to how long the device can be implanted? Yeah, so actually we've published the six-month results. The study is going to continue to follow the same patients for full two years, and we're in the middle of doing our analysis at the 12-month data point. We really want to show the durability. The device itself is rechargeable, and so the patients use a wireless charger. They put that on the surface of the skin, and it puts the power back in through the skin into the battery to wirelessly recharge the device. And so that means that the implanted device actually has a battery life of 10 years. At the end of that time, a patient who wants to continue using a stimulator would have a small operation, again, kind of like how a heart pacemaker surgery would replace an expiring pacemaker, where you open the scar, remove the old uh, battery pack unit, and then disconnect from the existing spinal wires, and then connect into a new fresh unit. And it takes about a half hour in the operating room to do that surgery as an uh, outpatient procedure. Okay, well, since it's so effective, um, do patients get to go off their pain medications once they get this implanted? Well, that's something that we did notice. We looked specifically at some of the responses with patients taking opioids, and what we noted was that patients who were getting spinal cord stimulation, a larger proportion of those patients either decreased their doses or stopped taking narcotic medications than those in the CMM group. And we did have a few patients who started taking opioids in both groups, but a much larger proportion of patients who started taking opioids in the conventional medical management group as compared to those who started taking them in the spinal cord stimulator group. We also noted some differences in taking other classes of medications as well. Okay, so now that we know more about the device and the surgery and pain medications, results of the study, who would be a good candidate for this device? Well, um, ideally, you want somebody, first of all, who is diagnosed with diabetes, who is diagnosed with painful diabetes-related neuropathy, who has tried a medication or two. Typically, we're looking at people who've tried uh, something in the gabapentinoid class, whether it's gabapentin or Lyrica, as well as one other kind of pain medication, and has not had durable response. We also want to make sure that these are patients who are suitable candidates for surgery. If they have significant other medical issues that are going to make them have a hard time with the small amount of anesthesia that's needed or the other kinds of things that are required to heal from surgery of any kind, then that should be looked at carefully. But in our research study, we were really broad to try to have a real-world group of patients with diabetes-related neuropathy. And so we had patients who had BMIs up to 45. We had hemoglobin A1Cs anywhere up to 10 as the exclusion for things. And we had some patients who did have cardiac issues and other significant medical comorbidities who were still able to participate in the research and were able to get a stimulator and, and have good outcomes with it. So we, I'm sure our listeners want to know about your experience with HFX, and maybe you have a patient story or two you'd like to share. Oh, sure. I um, really have had an amazing time 
getting to know the patients who participated in this research with us. They have some very gratifying stories. I'm thinking, for example, of a patient who was barely able to work part-time and just couldn't stand on the concrete and couldn't walk um, because of the neuropathy in his feet. And after stimulator, he's able to help out in a store, not just part-time, but he actually will do a 10-hour day at the store. I have another patient who's in his 30s who uh, works a heavy construction job, and he was having a really hard time feeling the ladder under his feet as he was trying to take care of installing ductwork, for example. And he's now able to feel under his feet. He's able to be safe at work. He's able to do more of the work than he was able to do before and not just delegate and supervise. I have another patient who told me, you know, um, he wouldn't be able to walk without this. He's confident it's made that significant an impact in his quality of life and overall function and well-being. These are some inspiring stories. I mean, we see these kinds of people in our practice almost every day. So what do you see as the role of the diabetes care and education specialist in all of this? You know, I really think this is an essential role. We are so focused these days as specialists. Me as a nurse surgeon, particularly, a lot of what I do is very detailed and very high level in terms of the degree of speciality to it. And I think it's very important to be able to provide to patients the information at the pace and at the level at which they need to uh, process and know what's right for their situation. The context is so important beyond the information. There's really an overwhelming amount of information in terms of treatments and options. And so that's where being able to provide not just information that's relevant, but also illustrated in an evidence-based information is really important. And diabetes care and education specialists blend those two pieces together in a very beautiful way. I think it's also really important to be an advocate for patient access. Patients may not be aware that a device like an implanted spinal cord stimulator could have a significant impact on their well-being and quality of life. They may be in a place where they only think in a pharmacological treatment frame of mind. And so then to expand the awareness of other options that are there that are non-pharmacological really can become a significant asset to these patients. And finally, you know, we're talking a little bit of science fiction here. As we get more complicated with technological devices from continuous glucose monitoring and pumps, now we're talking about implanted devices that send neurological signal impulses. These are things that really to provide some practical ability to support a patient who's trying to understand and manage these technologies is the wheelhouse of what diabetes care and education specialists can do. Thank you. Now, you mentioned access. And so, Dr. Peterson, where should our listeners direct people with diabetes they work with to learn more about this? Yeah, so uh, Nevro, the company that manufactures the device, has a website specifically focused on patients who have diabetes-related neuropathy. And they can go to that website, which is hfx4pdn.com. And there's videos and additional information there about all of the discussion that we've had. There's even a link to the paper that I referenced that we published in JAMA Neurology back a few months ago. 
Additionally, there are dedicated coaches that are sponsored by Nevro to help support patients as they become aware and start thinking about whether this may be an option to them. And if a patient chooses to register and become connected, then they can be contacted by one of those dedicated coaches to answer their questions and help them through the process of determining whether using HFX for PDN may be the solution for them individually. Well, Dr. Peterson, I want to thank you so much on behalf of our listeners for sharing all of your expertise and the great overview with us. It's another great tool in our toolbox that we can share with our folks that we see who have this problem. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks again, Jody. This has been fun to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle. As we just heard, there's a new treatment option out there for people with PDN that the diabetes care team can add to their toolbox. By sharing the evidence and referring to a provider like a pain specialist or neurosurgeon, your clients with PDN can get the treatment and ongoing support they need to address their painful condition and improve their quality of life. DCESs can access an ADCES webinar with more information. You can also find the full paper published in JAMA Neurology on the NEVRO website. Links to these are provided in the show notes. To access the notes and resources from today's episode, head over to diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And remember, ADCES membership gets you free access to resources, education, and networking that improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Learn more about what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. This episode was sponsored by Nevro, creators of the HFX solution. Visit hfxforpdn.com to learn more. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.